Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 63? Spiritual satisfaction. I read not long ago an article by a pastor who said that spiritual life for a lot of modern day church folks is like driving through a fast food restaurant. You just want a little bit, you go and start doing the rest of the things that you want to do. And instead of having the investment and preparation of a wonderful gourmet meal, just, just get a little of it to tide you over so that you can go do other things. And that's how he described modern day Christianity for a lot of uh, church people. I suppose in many ways he's right. He went on to describe how so many Christians that he knew of had a one or a two verse devotion in the morning and, and said a prayer that, that, you know, would take them about 30 seconds and then within three minutes they were gone. And there was no more study of God's Word, uh, no more pleading with God, until something really bad happens. A physical problem, a financial problem, a problem at work or at school, uh, a family problem, whatever. Any kind of problem and this fast food kind of Christianity changes. As he closed out the article, he said, you know, maybe this is the way God gets our attention to make us realize what's really important and how we need to slow down and make sure that God gets the quality time in our lives, especially when it comes to Bible study, that we need to have a, a very serious personal Bible study so that we are growing in the Word and that we might have a very intimate time in prayer that covers everything that one could possibly think of in his life when he speaks with his Heavenly Father. So I thought that was a pretty good article and it, it, uh, when I studied this it reminded me of, of that article, Psalm 63, Spiritual Satisfaction. Well, let's look at it together. It starts out with a longing for God. David, of course, is the king and apparently on a military campaign. A psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah, the wilderness, the desert of Judah. Elohim, God, you are my God. You are Elohim Eli. I seek you. That's a, that's a, uh, uh, that's a, a very concentrated and intense Hebrew word to seek, to seek firstly, to seek in, a, in, the, ma in the manner that is a priority above all other things. Uh, maybe your translation says early I seek you or something like that. And it's not just a thing that speaks of time. It is a thing that speaks of priority. Uh, this is the first thing I do. This is the main thing. You are my God. I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land without water. The great thing about, one of the great things about David is that he saw, he saw God in everything. I mean, he saw his relationship. He saw attributes of God, characteristics of God relative to himself. In this case, in the desert, on a military campaign. As a matter of fact, it's back in Samuel. It's, it references apparently uh, a, a place there in Samuel where they're out of food and uh, they don't have water. And um, was it Mephibosheth's servant came and uh, brought them all kind of bread and and uh, fruit and, and, and uh, a, a large skin of wine and things to refresh his soldiers with. He's, he's in a desert and he makes the analogy regarding his life, the essence of who he is. And he says, you know, I'm in this place where I long for you. I'm thirsty for you and I don't have any water. I need you like my body needs water. But I find myself in an arid and dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your strength or your power and your glory. So he starts out then he's longing for God. He expresses his desire, his need for God. And in, in the language that's used, he's describing how every, every piece of his existence is longing for God. There's nothing, there's nothing there. He talks about his uh, soul, uh, the, the nefesh, the soul is the is the essence of life in the Hebrew for for an individual in his flesh everything about him and he wants to see the power and glory and strength of God like he has seen it in the in the in the holy place in in the sanctuary now longing for God moves him into the worship of God for your covenant love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Now think about that. To have a relationship with God, or really, really, from the Hebrew perspective here, it's always, and we see this all the time. For God to have established a relationship with us, which is all God and none of us. That's, that's what the word, maybe, maybe your, your version says loving kindness or mercy or something, but it's a very deep and rich word. Speaking of the covenant love that God has established for his people. His people are incapable. God is so high, so far above, so, so, so different. The creator being God, there is no way that we could initiate this relation, there's no way. He's, he, we can't approach him. We, we can't find him. He's God. He's, 
He's everywhere and it seems like he's nowhere. I mean, he's everywhere, but in the sense that you can't grasp him or take hold of him unless he reveals himself and then he comes to you. This is what this word in the Hebrew is talking about, this covenant love, this covenant loyalty that God has established with his people. David, a true believer, a true believer is considering the covenant love that God has established. So you and I, I suppose, in these days would think of the grace of God. Grace. You know, you've heard the old saying, there, there, but for the grace of God, there go I, or something like that. Maybe the great challenge for us in ages to come will be to seek the width and the breadth and the depth of the grace of God. You know, why? Why did you awaken me spiritually? Did you raise me up from being spiritually dead? Why did you establish a relationship with me and save me? That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to think about. It's just all we can do is collapse into the presence of a sovereign God and say, amazing grace, how wonderful and how sweet. This is something like what David is experiencing here in this verse. The covenant love of God, it's better than life itself. Life is nothing unless it is life with an intimate relationship with the Creator. Because that life without the Creator will cease to exist uh, in the sense that we can't live in an eternal home with our Lord, our Creator, but rather we'll be consigned in the Hebrew mind to the lower depths of the earth, to Sheol, which of course is, is uh, clarified in the New Testament as being, as being hell, the, the, uh, the netherworld abode of the wicked dead, which finally, which finally forces all of those out and into the lake of fire, which is forever. Your covenant love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So, and it's so important. Before there is true worship from the, from, from the worshiper, there first has to be an established relationship from God to, to his child, to his own. Now, when God has established that, one of the natural products that comes out of that life of a believer is worship. Unbelievers cannot worship God. There, there is a, a need in modern Christianity for a for a, def a defined study in what worship is. Worship includes so much more than what people think today. And a person who hasn't been awakened spiritually and by the grace of God has been brought into a, an eternal relationship with the Creator God through the saving power of Jesus Christ 
causing us to reflect on the work of Christ, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the vicarious death as a substitute, the atonement, the reconciliation, the burial. And, uh, the, you know, the, the burial was the deposit, the, the deposit, uh, the payment. This is the payment for my own. And the resurrection was the acceptance of the payment. Thus, the death of Christ was legal tender. And we be, we're, we're then justified. All these things, atonement, justification, redemption, ransom, all these things are so wonderful. And worship involves part of that through Bible study and through prayer and assembling together in corporate uh, Bible study. And singing and music is just, is just a, 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 a small portion of the overall idea of worship. Here, my lips will praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. So, his life is dedicated to true worship. And in the mannerism of the Israelites, in his, in his offering of a sacrifice, whether it be an animal or a sacrifice of, of, of prayer or of, of praise or whatever, in offering that he lifts up his hands to, to declare that it's coming, it comes from, it comes from the hands of a worshiper who, who grasps and holds nothing for, in other words, he can't offer anything in worship. God gave it all. He can only acknowledge it and receive it. There's nothing he can add to it. So that's what he's saying here when he lifts up his hands. Next verse, as with marrow and fatness, my soul will be satisfied. And with joyful lips, my mouth will praise you. Now remember, this is the guy in the desert whose army is hungry and thirsty. And he's there on a mission and if you study the campaigns of David, you will know that his missions were always covered in prayer and, and uh, with the blessing of Yahweh and so forth. So, so this is a religious, this is, a, uh, th this is an activity on behalf of believers uh, to, to secure the promise of the Christ who were carried in the, in the, in the bowels of the, of the Jews, the, 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 those of the, of the tribe of Judah. And David, God uses this mannerism to protect that promise in the Old Testament. So he's doing a very important thing in service to God. But it's difficult. He's, 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 he has need and he knows the only one who can satisfy his need is God. And so he, he worships God. And he says, you know, this satisfies me. To know you and for you to uphold me and support me and give me strength. It makes me happy. It satisfies me like the best of meals that I could eat. And so with joyful lips, my mouth will praise you. Now, he moves from the worship of God to the consideration 
of the care that God gives to him. When I remember you on my bed in the night watches, I meditate about you. I don't know, I can't think of any believer who hasn't gone to bed, maybe even awakened in the night with a prayerful heart and with a need. The need might be something that you ask God to take care of, or it might be just the need to pray and thank Him and, and consider who He is. To meditate in that quiet time alone. He said in the night watches, of course you know the night watches, that's where the, the sentinels were on guard and every so often they would change guard during the night. So during the, during the night watches, he wasn't, yeah, this is in, interesting. He's the commander of an army, he's the king of a nation. His thoughts are not on a military campaign or the strengths and weaknesses of the enemy. His thoughts are on God. You see, if, if everything between the worshiper and God is clear and right, everything else takes care of itself. God takes care of it. Well, he knew this. So his, his thought, his heart, his thoughts, his heart, these were focused on God. Because you were my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will praise. More than once, David has experienced the help and deliverance of God. In the life of a child of God, these, these deliverances, and there are many in our lives as we go along, these deliverances are not forgotten. It strengthens our faith. We remember how we traveled a difficult path, but God was with us. Same way with David. And he knew that he was in the shadow of the wings. We've talked about that, the wings that extended over the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, where the blood was spilled for atonement. And David saw himself as, as being acceptable before God because God was mercy seated to him in the shadow of the wings. And just like the wings of a hen protects her chicks, these great wings of the cherubim are protective of the way of God and the people of God who are in the way of God, traveling that way that God has established for us. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Okay, this is the... This is the metaphor of a shield. He's at war. God's going to be his shield and he's the king. He's going to be right behind God. God's going to go first. And God is going to be the shield that protects David from whatever is going to happen. And David is right up behind him. Snuggled up right behind the Lord as the Lord moves out in behalf of David. Your right hand upholds me. Now that's the hand in military and in Old Testament Hebraistic terms would be the hand of authority, the hand of strength. It would be the hand, generally speaking, that held the sword. So this was the shield and the sword. 
You, you are my shield and your right hand is supporting me and strengthening me and you are slashing out in a way that I cannot in my behalf. So, he takes note then of the care of God uh, here. And then finally, the victory that God gives to him. But they seek to destroy my life. Those will go into the lower parts of the earth. In the Hebrew mind, Sheol, he doesn't use the word Sheol here. He, he, he describes the place as they understood it in the Old Testament. But he saw them as, as collapsing into hell, basically. God was shielding. God was slashing and thrusting with his sword. David was up close behind. No one could withstand the onslaught of God, and they would fall. They were, they were seeking. Now, it gives you an idea of the campaign. Apparently, a foreign army had invaded the land or were threatening to invade the land or in some way were a threat to the security of Israel in David's day. And so he's given the go-ahead by the Almighty to go to war against them. And he, he sees here that their mission is to destroy the king. Well, now David carried the promise of the Christ. Of course, that can never happen. So the Lord goes to battle for him and sends them right to hell. That's what David says. They will fall by the sword they will be the portion of foxes. These wild dogs will eat their flesh. And may the king rejoice with God or to God, Baalim. All who swear by him will glory or they will boast. But the mouth of those who speak lies will be closed. Everything about the work of God and the Word of God is absolute truth. Everything else is a lie. So, just to form an attack against the people of God and the King whom God had anointed over these people, just to come against them was to be living a lie. Their mouths will be closed. Into God or with God, the king rejoices. All of those who are God's people will boast in the power and grace and glory of God. But those who came against them will fall dead and their mouths will be shut and they will have a testimony against the people of God no more. Done. Okay, so we'll end our study there tonight and we'll have our deacon prayer time.